0: Before I was a mother, I thought I knew. I thought I knew what love looks like. I thought I knew the value of sleep. I thought I knew the sound of success. Before I was a mother, I thought I knew The beauty of a prayer. The potential of my joy. The length of my patience. I thought I knew the depth of art. The soul of laughter. <laughs> the importance of the magic before i was a mom i thought i knew the stress parents' mistakes. I thought I knew how to be a cool mom. Before I was a mother, I thought I knew. But now I realize I had a lot to learn. And you were teaching me the whole time, even before I was aware of it. You were welcoming me into the sisterhood of mothers. A calling is old love itself. You never grow out
1: of Hey, good morning, everybody, and all you folks across the street and joining us online. Wherever you are, I want you to grab a Bible and go with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and when you get there, find chapter 31. That shouldn't be too difficult. That's the final chapter in the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. And while you're turning there, let me just tell you that, you know, I was thinking this week, over the past several weeks, we have really spent our time talking about some very serious and sobering issues on the weekends as we've opened our Bibles to study together. We really began that in that sermon series called Dear Church that was based on Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and the letters that Jesus sent to seven churches located in Asia Minor. He dealt with some very serious issues in those letters, very sobering. And then we've continued that on in this current study we're involved in called Urgent. You know, we're involved in a study looking at the one chapter letters in the New Testament, that's 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Philemon, and we've talked about some serious issues there. Last week, we looked at the book of Jude, and we talked about a message called the urgency of responsibility. We're using the title urgent because there's an urgent message in each one of those letters. We looked last week at the urgency of responsibility, and I've got to tell you, after preaching that three times last weekend, I went home feeling exhausted. I was exhausted under the weight of the serious subject matter in that letter. So I was looking forward to this weekend because I want to spend some time honoring not just our mothers, but all of the special women in our lives. And so we're going to take a one-week break from this urgent series and spend some time here in Proverbs chapter 31, looking at verses 10 through 31, and we're going to talk about honoring the women in our lives. We'll conclude our urgent series next week by looking at the urgency of reconciliation from the book of Philemon. I haven't preached a Mother's Day sermon in a while. I look back in my notes. I haven't preached a Mother's Day sermon in a while. There are a lot of different reasons for that, but really, honestly, one of the reasons is while Mother's Day is a very special and a very happy day for a lot of people, it's also a very difficult day for some, sadly. It just is. And there are a lot of different reasons for that. Maybe you didn't have a loving and a nurturing mom in your home when you grew up. Maybe your mom is gone, and that continues, even if it's been a while to be a just a hole in your heart and an emptiness that it's hard to get over. This is my mother's first Mother's Day in heaven this year. That's why I've got a coat and tie on today. I haven't worn a coat and tie to church in a long, long time, but my mother was a very stylish woman, always impeccably dressed, and so I thought to honor her today, I would put on a coat and tie. Maybe there's just an emptiness there for you that no matter how much time goes by, just doesn't seem to go away. Maybe being a mom is something that you have longed and prayed for for years, but for whatever reason, it's just never happened. It could be a lot of different things. I want you to know this morning as we get ready to, to do this that I understand that. I do. I understand that. And I understand and I've learned over the years that sometimes some people, they don't come to church at certain moments in their life, on special weekends, or when they go through different seasons of life because it just feels too painful for them. But let me just tell you from my side of the pulpit for a moment that if church, and I'm talking about what we're doing right now, if church is not a place where we can bring our brokenness, then we're doing it wrong. We don't come to church because everything in our life is right. The very fact that we show up here on the weekend is the greatest statement that that is the farthest thing from the truth. And we have this desperate need for a holy God and a loving Savior to make our brokenness whole. So, I just want you to remember that with me and let's bow our heads and pray for just a moment. Father in heaven, I thank you for the chance to be here today. I thank you for open Bibles in front of us. I thank you for the opportunity to spend some time looking at your word. We're thankful for our mothers today. We honor them. Whether they are with us, maybe even in this service, or whether they are with you, maybe even if they've been gone from us for a long time, we honor them, we celebrate them, we thank you for them. And I pray, Father, for every wound or every hurt or every disappointment that might be magnified on Mother's Day, and I pray that we would find in those kinds of moments that Your Word is true, that Your grace is sufficient to meet our every need, and we count on that this morning. And we ask all that in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. All right, as I said, we're going to spend some time in Proverbs chapter 31 today talking about a noble or virtuous woman. And so, if you've got your Bibles open there, let's not waste any more time. Stand with me wherever you might be in reverence and respect for God's Word like we always do. And I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 31, beginning in verse 10, and I'm going to read all the way to the end of the chapter. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life." She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy when it snows she has no fear for her household for all of them are clothed in scarlet she makes coverings for her bed she is clothed in fine linen and purple her husband is respected at the city gate when she where he takes his seat among the elders of the land she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchant with sashes she is clothed with strength and dignity she can laugh at the days to come She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Okay, there it is. I always feel like after we read that, we should just go... (sighs) but you can be seated this morning. That's one busy woman there in Proverbs 31 verses 10 through 31. I have a preacher friend who told me once that a woman in his church shared with him that she found this passage we just read in Proverbs 31 to be very intimidating. She said, I read these words and I'm reminded of all that I will never ever be, and he responded very kindly saying, I think you're being a little too hard on yourself, but we can probably all relate to that feeling on some level. Every time I read the qualifications of an elder in Peter Timothy chapter 3 or in Titus chapter 1, I feel overwhelmed with the responsibility and I feel inadequate to be a church leader. Every time I read the qualifications for a good husband in Ephesians chapter 5, I wonder to myself, is there ever going to be a moment in my life when I'm able to love my wife with the same kind of sacrificial love that Jesus has for His church? I think it's natural for all of us to feel like we fall short when it comes to the biblical ideal for our lives, no matter what our role in life might be. But I don't want anyone here this morning to feel intimidated by the words of Proverbs 31. Instead, I want all of the women who are so special in our lives to feel challenged and inspired because one of, this thing, one of the things this passage reveals to us is that God has a high understanding and a high regard for the role you play in this world that He has created. And by the way, ladies, God has a much better perspective about your role in the world than the world itself does I say that because over the year, the world has tried to place you in a variety of different roles that don't necessarily reflect the will or the perspective of God. Let me think about that purely from the perspective of being a wife for a moment. I ran across an article this week in a magazine called Housekeeping Monthly. It's called The Good Wife's Guide. I think you'll really enjoy this. This is for all the wives. Plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious dinner ready When your husband gets home from work, this is a way of letting him know you've been thinking about him and are concerned with his needs. Prepare yourself. Put on some makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. He's been with a lot of work-weary people. Prepare the children. Take a few minutes to wash them up. Brush their hair and change their clothes if needed. Remember, they are little treasures and he would like to see them playing that part. Have a cooler warm drink for him and arrange his pillow. Take off his shoes. Over the cooler months, you should prepare and light a fire for him to unwind by. After all, catering to his comfort will bring you immense satisfaction. Let him talk first. Remember that his topics of conversation are more important than yours. Never complain if he comes home late or goes out to dinner or entertainment without you because you just need to understand the world of strain and pressure. He needs to relax. That was published, by the way, in May of 1965 things have changed a little bit. Here's what I want you to know, ladies. There are a lot of ways that we could talk about Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. We could look at it from a number of different perspectives, but I'm going to keep this really simple, and honestly, I'm going to keep it kind of short and talk about it from the perspective of three prayers for all of you this morning. The first one is this. It's the prayer that you will have a sense of self-worth. You know, Solomon begins this passage in verse 10 by saying a wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. And if you continue to read through the passage, you'll see that ultimately he says that her husband and her family and even the community that she lives in will give her the honor that she deserves. But my prayer for all of you is that before that happens, before any of that happens, before other people recognize and acknowledge your worth, that you will recognize and acknowledge it for yourself. Ideally, in a perfect world, uh, people will see you for who you are and give you the credit you deserve, but we don't live in a perfect world, and so sometimes people go unnoticed. But even when that happens, I hope that you will have the quiet confidence and strong assurance of your worth as a woman of God. I'm going to step away from Proverbs 31 for just a moment to try to talk about how God views women. Several years ago, and Probably many of you were here and may even remember this, but several years ago, just before the movie The Da Vinci Code was released in theaters, I did a very short sermon series called The Da Vinci Deception. One of the messages that I preached was called, Is There Something About Mary? And I talked about Mary Magdalene because if you... You may or may not know the story of the Da Vinci Code, but in the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown, who is the author, writes that Jesus and Mary had a romantic relationship, that ultimately they got married and had a child together, a little girl that they named Sarah. And it was Jesus' will all along that his wife Mary be the leader of the first century church. We talked about these things on the weekend because. While it's a fictional story, Dan Brown, again, who's the author of The Da Vinci Code, wrote the story under the pretense that it was all based on factual and historical events and truth. And so we needed to expose that lie, and it gave us the opportunity to talk about some important things like the reliability of the Scriptures, for example, and the way God views women in this message called, Is There Something About Mary? Because we talked about Mary Magdalene. There's no passage of Scripture that you can turn to this morning that gives us a full and complete story of the life of Mary Magdalene. You have to kind of study through the Gospels, and then you even, even then you just get some glimpses. But there are three things that I would note about Mary Magdalene. First of all, you know, there's a there's this common belief that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, but that is just a thing that was added to her life later in history. That's not something that really has a biblical foundation. What we do see in the Bible is that she was a woman who was possessed by seven demonic spirits. If you can even imagine what that could have been like. She was possessed by seven demonic spirits, and when she met Jesus, Jesus set her free. That in itself is a powerful uh, Thing for us to understand, even beyond the the power of the of that supernatural act and that supernatural authority, the fact that Jesus noticed Mary Magdalene in that condition speaks to the significance of his attitude and treatment of women, because he lived in a culture where you didn't even notice women, and you didn't notice people who were afflicted with any different kind of malady whether it was physical or spiritual or whatever it might be and yet Jesus noticed her and he set her free after that the gospels show us that she became one of Jesus's most devoted followers she was a part of his inner circle of people that traveled with him who supported him and the scriptures teach us in the gospels that she was faithful to Jesus all the way into the end of his life the gospels tell us that she was at the cross where Jesus died to the very end, and she was at the tomb early on Sunday morning. And so Mary Magdalene's life is just one example of how God values women. And I say that because I've always told you in the past that if you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is look at Jesus because Jesus reveals to us the heart and the reality and the truth of God. Now, here's the deal. Over the years, the church hasn't always upheld the ideal that Jesus demonstrated toward women during His ministry, women like Mary Magdalene. But that doesn't change the truth that God honors and values and esteems women, and there's no question that women play an incredibly important and prominent role in God's church and in God's kingdom. Honestly, the way Jesus treated women in His day and age during His vocational ministry was countercultural. There was a common rabbinic prayer that was prayed in the first century that began with these words literally, Blessed art thou, O God, who did not make me a woman. That's a prayer that Jewish rabbis would pray. And there was actually a group of rabbis that were so committed to not talking to or coming in contact with women for fear that they would defile them, that they wouldn't even look at women. They actually made a vow that they would go through their lives without allowing their eyes to rest on a woman. And if they were walking down the street and out of the corner of their eye they saw a woman come into view, they would close their eyes and continue walking until they were certain that she was out of their line of sight. They were actually called the bruised and bleeding rabbis, by the way. You can't make that kind of thing up. And it's into that kind of a culture that Jesus came and treated women with a dignity and respect that they had never, ever received before. You see that, for example, again, in the l- brief glimpses we get into the life of Mary Magdalene with regard to Jesus because He never ignored her and He never marginalized her. I can tell you from a personal experience that I learned a long time ago just how important women are in the local church. Women have always played roles roles of leadership and service in every church I've ever served. In fact, I learned a long time ago that if there was something I really needed to get done, I needed to get a woman involved. Historian Robin Fox writes, it's highly likely that women were a clear majority in the early church, and that hasn't changed today. When I was putting this message together for the Da Vinci Deception years ago, I read a report. Of a recent archaeological find, some archaeologists had come across the site of an early church in a place called Serda that was seized during persecution. They found 16 male tunics. In other words, there were at least 16 men who were a part of that early church, but they also found 38 veils, all of which obviously would have been worn by women, 82 women's tunics, 47 pairs of female slippers, and on and on and on. Women have always been a strong and prominent role, or a strong and prominent part, rather, of God's church. And here's why. Because God wants both men and women alike to find the church to be a place of acceptance and a place of freedom and a place of service. Women have always been important in God's plan. As I mentioned with regard to Mary, it was women who were at the foot of the cross when all of the men, when all of His disciples had run off For fear into the darkness while Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth, dying on a cross. It was women who were there at the foot of the cross. And they couldn't leave. They were compelled to stay out of their love for him. It was women who were the first to go to the tomb. It was a woman who had the privilege of being the first person to see the resurrected Christ and share the good news of his resurrection. I thank God for the women He's used over the years in His church. God honors and He values and He esteems women. You can't study the Scriptures and not see that that's true. And so much of that can be traced back to the life of Jesus because, as I mentioned, the way Jesus treated women during His ministry was countercultural. And if you want to know what God is like, you just have to look at Jesus. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, these words. He says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is therefore, excuse me, there is neither now Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Just because the Bible describes God as our Heavenly Father doesn't mean that He's more like men necessarily than He is like women. Does God value men more than God values women? No. Does God like men more than God likes women? No. Does God like action movies with Russell Crowe more than he likes romantic comedies with Sandra Bullock? Yes, of course he does. That's just common sense and good taste. But there's no theological significance to that. You can't read the Bible and not see that God values women. And listen to me, it doesn't matter whether they are single or married or mothers or whatever. And my prayer for all of the women who are so special in our lives today is that you understand and find your self-worth in that fact. Regardless of your relationship status or your role in life, you are God's unique creation and He loves you and He needs you to accomplish His mission In the world, he always has. The second prayer that I have down here for the women who are so special in our lives is that you can laugh at the days to come. That's exactly what Solomon says about this virtuous or noble woman he describes in verses 10 through 31. If you look back at Proverbs 31 25, this is what it says about this woman. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. That's the way it's rendered in my NIV Bible. In the New Living Translation, it says, She laughs with no fear of the future. And that's what I pray for you, that God would be at work in your life, and you'll experience His blessing in your life to such an extent that you'll look forward to tomorrow with joy and anticipation, no fear, but just joyful anticipation. There are way too many people today who live in dread of each new day because their life is filled with one problem and one crisis and one disaster after another. That's not the life God has envisioned for any of us and Ladies, it's not the life that God has envisioned for you. So have courage as you face the future, knowing that the future is in His hands. And I would just say this one thing, too. Ladies, you can try to develop this characteristic, this characteristic that's described there in verse 25 of having no fear of the future in one of two ways. And honestly, one works and one doesn't. For example, you can tie all of your hopes and all of your expectations about the future into a relationship or a role. You can think my life will be made whole. It will finally be made whole when I'm married. Or my life will be made whole. It will finally be made whole when when I have children, when I'm a mom or when I'm a grandmother or something like that. You can think that it's those kinds of things that will solve all the problems of your life, but you would be wrong. This woman that is described in Proverbs 31 This woman who is able to laugh at the days to come, uh, the proverb writer says, first is clothed with strength and with dignity. Those are personal characteristics. Those are personal traits. They're not things that come as a result of a relationship or a role. Those are things that are inherent. They're a part of your basic fundamental character, who you are. This is a woman who takes responsibility for her life. I don't think you could preach a Mother's Day sermon or any kind of a Mother's Day sermon without some kind of a reference to Susanna Wesley. And that's good because she illustrates this point. Susanna Wesley was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, who were the founders of the Methodist Church and what was known as the Holiness Movement. Susanna Wesley had a hard life. She was married to a man. His name was Samuel, who was much older than she was. And he was a preacher, but honestly, truth be told, he never had much success, and he never made much money, and he couldn't manage the little money that he had. In fact, he was such a poor manager of money that he actually ended up for a portion of his life in something that was called a debtor's prison. He was in debt. He couldn't pay it back, and he went to prison as a result. So what did Susanna Wesley do? She rose to the occasion... She did what her well-meaning but slightly incompetent husband couldn't do. She found ways to provide for her family. She trained her children to be successful. She taught them how to be responsible and how to handle money. When she was sick, she delegated responsibilities to them so that the household could continue to operate. When her husband was in prison, she began to teach Bible studies at the church that he served, and more people came to the Bible studies that she led than showed up on Sunday mornings when he was in the pulpit. That's the kind of woman that she was. And in the end, listen to this. She raised 19 children. 19 children, two of whom became some of the greatest evangelists and hymn writers that the church has ever known. So my prayer for you is that you'll be able to laugh at the days to come because you have gained from God strength and dignity, the strength and dignity you need to face the future, whatever the future brings with courage and not fear. And one final prayer for all of you women who are so special in our lives is that you will receive the honor you deserve if I look back down, and obviously I'm not going verse by verse through Proverbs 31, but if I look back down and I look at verses 28 and 29, this is what it says. This is what's said of this virtuous or noble woman. And by the way, when verse 10 says, a wife of noble character who can find the Hebrew word that the writer uses there can just as easily be translated woman as wife. This is for all the women that are here today. But this is what's said of this virtuous and noble woman in verse 28 and 29. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. And my prayer is that you would receive that kind of honor for the lives that you live, even though I get the sense sometimes, maybe not for all women, but sometimes that some women seem to think that what they do on a day-in and day-out basis is really not that important and really doesn't matter. That's so not true. Because while each day might be filled with ordinary things and each day might be filled with mundane things, they all add up and they all make a difference. And in the end, you find that you've lived an extraordinary life by doing all of that. I think that's what we see in Proverbs 31, because in this description of this virtuous noble woman, we see some pretty average, ordinary, mundane things. I'm not going to go verse by verse, but let's just look at a few examples. Look at verse 13. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. Translation, she clothes her family. Verse 14, she is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. Translation, she shops, she haggles, she buys, she coupons, she's careful, She meets her family's needs. Verse 15, she gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. Translation, she feeds her family. Skip down a bit. Verse 20, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hand to the needy. Translation, she takes the time to see and care about and meet the needs of those around her who are less fortunate, people that most of us don't even notice. Verse 23, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Translation, because of her work, because of the work, the average, everyday, mundane work of this noble and virtuous woman, her everyday work, her husband has become a man of influence. Verse 26, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Translation, Everything I ever really needed to know in life, I learned from my mom. Verse 29. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Translation. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, this virtuous, noble woman becomes a person of influence herself. Her character is above reproach, And she has made the lives of everyone in her household better. But it's even more than that. It's not just the immediate people in her household. It's not just the people that she lives with. I know that the book of Proverbs is a part of the Old Testament, so it was originally written in the Hebrew language, and that the New Testament was written in Greek. But in the Greek language of the New Testament, there's a word for household that finds its origin in this Greek thought, it's the word oikos, and it's the thought of the sphere of your influence. It's the thought of the network of your life, all the people that you're involved in. And so here's the reality. This noble woman who surpasses them all is influential with everyone she meets. Everywhere she goes. Everyone is better for knowing her. I hope something that we've talked about this morning from the perspective of Proverbs 31 has struck a chord with you and spoken to your heart I hope that you know how special you are for many years the musical Rent was the most popular show on Broadway, it was a story that followed the lives of some young artists who were struggling to make it in New York in the days when the AIDS crisis just began and was claiming the lives of many young people Without question, the most enduring song from the musical is the song, Seasons of Love. And there's one line that stands out above the rest in the song, and it's the line, 525,600 minutes, how do you measure a year? How do you measure a life? How do you measure the life of of a woman or a man? How do you measure significance? And when you listen to the song, it reminds us that Lives are measured in days and days are measured in moments and moments add up to something and they add up to something special when they're offered in love first to God and then to all the people that are around us that are so special to us. And being everything that God created you to be is about recognizing those moments and making the most of them because they matter. Even sometimes when you think that they're just average, ordinary, and mundane... But a meal served or missed matters to someone who's hungry. A phone call made or unmade matters to the person who's waiting on the other end of the line. An act of kindness done or undone matters to the person who needs help. A word spoken or left unsaid, a smile offered or withheld, a check written or held back, an invitation to church ventured or stifled, a conversation begun or never had, these things matter because there's a person on the other end of those transactions. There's a relationship that's either nurtured or stifled. There's a life or a community that's either being enriched or diminished by what you do every moment of every day. In my prayer is that in whatever role you find yourself in, single, single again, single mom, married, divorced, mom, grandma, widow, that you would know how much God loves and values you and that you would bring your heart to Him and everything in it, and know that he'll meet you with the grace that you need to go on and be reminded of how much you're loved.